You're listening to Doc Talk with your host, that's me, Dr. Adam Nelly. Listen and learn as we take complex health topics and make them clear, understandable, and applicable to your life. My desire is that you find the answers to the burning questions that you have, answers that will get you back on track, improve your health, and let you be who you are meant to be. Whatever your reason, thank you for being here. I'm so glad you're joining me today. Let's get started. Well, let's dive right into today's topic. Um, over the last two days, I've had multiple emails and questions from patients about erythritol in the uh, recent study that was published in Nature Medicine uh, on the 27th of February about erythritol's risk for cardiovascular events, uh, or what they refer to as MACE events, that stands for Major Adverse Cardiovascular Events, uh, and also increasing the risk of uh, enhanced thrombosis or blood clots. Uh, this was a study published from a group in the Cleveland Clinic, uh, which is an important thing to remember about this particular study. And uh, let's talk about the uh, the findings that, that are there and how that relates to the use of erythritol, especially with uh, the ketogenic diet or carnivorous diets, if you happen to be using them in those capacities. So the first thing that c- comes out of the study, let me start out. Uh, the Dr. Stanley Hazen, uh, who's actually the uh, director of the Center for Cardiovascular Diagnostics and Prevention at the Cleveland Clinic, uh, states that uh, the degree of risk using erythritol is not modest. Uh, to quote him, uh, he said that for people who are uh, at risk for clotting, heart attacks and strokes, like people with existing cardiac disease or people with diabetes, he says, I think there's sufficient data here to stay away from erythritol until more sufficient studies are done. Uh, he also mentioned to CNN uh, in, in their article. Now, it's important to understand that uh, the Cleveland Clinic within uh, last November signed a, lar- a huge um, a partnership with Procter & Gamble to develop a heart disease biomarker. And this started in t- uh, 2022. Uh, Dr. Hazen was actually um, employed by Procter & Gamble, I think up until that time. And now he's employed by, by uh, uh, the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, at least that's the one I've been able to find in regards to his employment there. So there, there's not a conflict of interest there at all, is there? Uh, interestingly enough, Procter & Gamble uh, has donated to Cleveland Clinic in, in uh, financially as well. And the Cleveland Clinic has received $2.6 billion in donations over the last 10 years. $1.6 billion of that are from private corporations. Now remember, Procter & Gamble makes Crest and Oral-B and a number of tooth decay products that contain xylitol. So you you tell me, is there a, a, a little bit of a um, uh, conflict of interest in, in regards to this study published and the fact that they specifically selected out erythritol and its effect on heart disease as uh, this is here. So first thing I see ask when, when I see an article like this is follow the money. Where's the money coming from? Who's paying for these studies and why is it there? Uh, that may be a huge red flag for you to start with and hopefully it is. So let's look at the actual study though and find out is, is this an issue? Uh, we've been told by the FDA that uh, in, in uh, standard doses, erythritol is not a problem. And what we know is that erythritol is naturally present in fruits and vegetables as a polyol. Um, uh, Fruit, mushrooms, fermented foods like wine, sake, uh, soy sauce, and miso paste uh, contain small amounts of erythritol present. They also contain other polyols as well. Uh, If you take one pound of grapes, you get 0.02 grams of of erythritol. A quart of wine is 0.3 grams of erythritol. And a quart of sake uh, is 1.5 grams of erythritol. So it's very small amounts, not, not huge uh, but that's important to understand. Now, a polyol is a uh, means means containing many um, hydroxyl or alcohol groups. So this this is a, a carbon chain, four carbons. These are polyols, four carbon chain uh, that end in ol. Uh, and you may hear of sorbitol, xylitol, lactitol, mannitol, maltitol, and isomaltitol. 
all of those actually stimulate an insulin response, uh, except for erythritol, which is the other polyol that's there. Um, so in, in my approach with my patients, I don't recommend any of those uh, sugar alcohols because they all stimulate an insulin response, except for erythritol. And so that's why it's real common in, in, in keto foods is because it does not uh, stimulate that insulin response as far as we understand today. Um, now, erythritol is found in, st- uh, in the, the erythritol you buy in the store is chemically created from corn and a couple products uh, pull it out of apples and pears. And it was approved to be safe by the FDA in 2001. Now, the average 150 pound human can tolerate about 70 grams or six teaspoons of erythritol um, at a meal without symptoms is what they claim in in this. Now, I don't know about you, but if I do more than 20 grams of erythritol at at a meal, I'm in the bathroom. And so I find it hard to believe that the average 150 pound human can tolerate 70 grams, but that's what this study claims. Uh, and they claim that that's the high end of what people are eating. I don't know about you, but I don't know very many people who eat that much, uh, erythritol. Um, when we calculate up the doses, when my wife bakes with it, um, it's not even close to that. Maybe, maybe five to 10 grams at a max. And if I eat more than two servings of her, her, you know, her, her, uh, her, uh, uh, low low carb cheesecake or something like that that may contain erythritol. I, I get I, I don't feel good. My, you know, and my kids don't feel good. You know, we, you can't eat much more than uh, maybe ten, maybe fifteen grams if you're lucky. If you look at the number of the drinks, like the monster drinks, they'll contain four four uh, grams of of erythritol. It's not huge amounts, but this study claims that people are eating a lot more than I would suspect they're eating. Um, so that's a big that's a second flag that that, that bothered me about the study. Um, now, now we know that erythritol also has the same anti-cavity effect as xylitol. So that's one of the questions I have is, are they attacking erythritol because of its effect on xylitol? And is there a monetary gain to be had by attacking erythritol from that, that issue? If you eat too much xylitol or erythritol, you're going to get GI upset, gas, diarrhea, and nausea. Uh, like I said, for many people that starts to occur after five, five, five grams of, of it or uh, a teaspoon or so of erythritol. Uh, if you look at Swerve, um, I think Swerve had about 4.5 grams per, uh, per, per table or teaspoon, pardon me, uh, actually per tablespoon, if I remember correctly, uh, you have to correct me on that. So let's look at the study itself and see what they actually said here. So the plasma level of erythritol will increase. Now, let me, this is a different study, uh, done by, this one was done in 1996 when they actually looked at, uh, erythritol, uh, Bornet, Bleo, and Dashi. Uh, in their study in uh, the journal Toxicology and Pharmacology in 1996, showed that erythritol will increase in its plasma volume or blood volume within the first 30 to 40 minutes of ingestion, and they'll reach a maximal value within about 30 minutes. Uh, now, in the study that was published in Nature Medicine, they claimed it rose over a period of four to five hours. So I'm not totally sure who's correct or if it's a different type of source, what they basically used. Um, the plasma levels of erythritol declined gradually to about 1.7 milligrams per milliliter at the end of the three-hour period with this first study done in 1996. The other, this other study, when they gave them 30 grams of erythritol, claimed it didn't drop until about the, the didn't see a significant drop until the first day, and it didn't totally base they baseline out until the second day. The average there's an average of 30 percent of the ingested erythritol is excreted completely unchanged in the urine within the first three hours. That's this first study that they showed. And there's other studies that are similar to this that, that document that's how erythritol is excreted. Uh, and that's why it was approved by the FDA. Total urinary excretion 
according to the first study in 1996 uh, by Bornet, basically states that 78% of the erythritol that you ingested is gone within within 24 hours. So that's the study that the, that the FDA approved um, erythritol on. And I think there's there's a couple of studies that, that are similar to that in regards to their excretion time. So there's already some ver- some significant differences in what uh, the uh, the study by uh, the Cleveland Clinic showed, um, and you'll see that with different studies, you'll see different outcomes, and it, it may be different the different body types, the different uh, risk factors they have, the, the different types of, of food they ingest it with, things like that. So uh, you can't just hang your hat on one study. Unfortunately, that's what I'm seeing the media do. They're hanging the hat on the single study, and it's been published across multiple uh, uh, news outlets. Some of them I thought I trusted, but they're actually all quoting CNN, which makes me really dissatisfied and discouraged by that. Um, erythritol elicited a significant enhancement uh, in collagen-dependent platelet adhesion is what they found in the Cleveland Clinic study. So one of the things that they noticed was that when you give erythritol doses, you'll see an increased stickiness of the platelets uh, and potential clot formation uh, in in the platelet-rich uh in the PRP that they pulled from, from patients. So basically what they did is they drew blood out, they spun it down, <clears throat> and then they put erythritol into it, and then within 30 minutes they watched to see what happened, and the platelets clumped. They did this in mice as well, and they found that there was an increase in the blood clotting that occurred with those mice. Now it's important to understand that polyols act differently in different species of, of animals. Uh, for example, if you give xylitol to humans, it has no glycemic effect. It has no effect on insulin. It has no effect on blood sugar in humans um, and uh, doesn't bother humans other than the GI side effects as it's excreted. But um, in dogs, it will cause a huge spike in insulin. It's absorbed as if it were sugar and causes an increased spike in that insulin and can actually kill the dogs uh, if they, because they get low, low blood sugar and liver failure from xylitol. Um, so you're going to see a different response in different animals. So your rat and your mice are going to have a different response than dogs and in humans. So because you'll see a different effect of platelet aggregation when you pull the blood out of the body and you spin it down or you do a PRP, which is what they tested the erythritol originally, they decided, okay, well, we better check this in humans and see what happens. So they picked eight humans. Now, I don't know about you, but a study of eight is, in my perspective, worthless. But they gave these eight humans 30 grams of erythritol to drink or they gave them a pint of keto ice cream to eat. Um... I would really like to know what their side effects GI were after, after eating or ingesting that much erythritol uh, because that's huge. Uh, and then they measured the erythritol elevation and it persisted for up to about two days. Now they extrapolated the fact that because their erythritol levels were, were high for up to two days after ingesting this huge amount of erythritol um, and the rat study, they said, well, if these people are at risk for heart disease or stroke, then their risk for blood clots and, and, and heart disease, heart, heart attack because of the high erythritol is going to cause a problem. Um, of course, it, it may. But and so let's let's talk about why that is and and what we already knew and why this study is not necessarily um, life changing. I've talked about it before, and I'll probably talk about it again. Um, when your blood sugar goes up, you have excess glucose. Uh, in a person who's insulin resistant or diabetic, um, that excess glucose um, blockades up the conversion of glucose into uh, into the 
Krebs cycle as it passes into that Krebs cycle. It's called the hexokinase pathway. It, that, that pathway gets saturated. And as the, as the glucose is being converted into uh, fuel into the Krebs cycle and pr- producing ATP, and that, that hexokinase pathway is saturated, the excess glucose is actually converted into sorbitol through the polyol pathway and erythritol via the pentophosphate pathway. So your body, when their blood sugar is high, is, is actually converting um, that glucose into polyols all the time. And so you're going to see a rise in sorbitol and erythritol and xylitol and a number of these other polyols in the, in the body when you're a diabetic or in, you're a pre-diabetic and your blood sugar is staying high. This is one of the huge drivers of vascular disease. We've known this for years, uh, but nobody talks about it. And unfortunately, these authors in uh, the Cleveland Clinic didn't even mention this, which is essential to understand. Um, both of these pathways will increase the risk for vascular damage uh, in the presence of an elevated blood sugar and elevated insulin. We know that. It's been documented for years. Uh, the increased sorbitol and the erythritol from high glucose levels in the presence of that high insulin uh, will decrease the nitric oxide It will and, and decrease glutathione. Uh, it inhibits the buffer against oxidative injury and vasodilation and results in chronic ischemia. Uh, this leads to deposition of what are called advanced glyco- glycosylation and end products or AGEs around the peripheral nerves and the, the blood vessels and contribute to the formation of hydrogen peroxide, which increases oxidative stress and can lead to heart disease and thrombus formation. It changes collagen and the way collagen is bound in platelets and causes increased stickiness to the platelets. What they described in their study is basically what we've known for years. And it's the driver behind why diabetics get heart disease and are at increased risk for strokes. They just described that process, but they blamed it on erythritol. Uh, because there's a reason behind it, um, most likely monetary. Like I said, if you follow the money, you'll understand why. But we've known this about urethritol for years. And the levels of urethritol they're claiming people eat, I have a hard time thinking that the average person who's doing a ketogenic diet is eating that much, uh, taking in, ingesting that much urethritol. Now, if you're using urethritol and you're not controlling your blood sugar, are you at risk for increased uh, problems like heart disease and stroke? Absolutely you are. And so that's why a lot of the people who understand ketogenic diets say eat real food. Uh, if you're eating a bunch of, of the keto crap that has large amounts of, of this in it, if you're buying all the keto garbage off the shelf in the grocery store, you're not doing a ketogenic diet. Uh, you're, 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 and you're not following a ketogenic diet correctly. You're going to put yourself at risk for these because of the high glucose level and this conversion of glucose through the hexokinase pathway and the uh, pentose phosphate pathway. And so, the, so is there a risk there? Yes, there is. But that's not what I think most people doing a ketogenic diet correctly are doing. So now to give the guys at Cleveland Clinic some credit, um, they measured the metabolites of endogenous urethritol production, and they showed an association of heart disease and blood clots, but they didn't actually show causation. So what they said was, yeah, when the urethritol level goes up and these endogenous metabolites are present from the conversion uh, to urethritol from glucose, um, there is an association of heart disease risk, but they didn't actually show that the erythritol was the cause. And that's what the headlines across the news in the last three days have been saying is that erythritol causes heart disease. That's not true. That's absolutely false. It's an association, not a causation. Now, my concern is that Dr. Hazan implied there was a causation in his comments to CNN. And that's, in my perspective, 
not true. And so that's that's my concern is that his his study didn't say that, but he implied it, and that's why why this caught hold. So uh, we know that erythritol levels will be elevated in those with prediabetes and diabetes. We've known that for years. That's just part of the natural physiology. And that's why we, as physicians, try to get people to lower their blood sugar. Lowering the blood sugar is important because this pathway or these two pathways get stimulated and it increases your potential for risk as one of the potential causes of inflammatory change at the blood vessel level and at the blood clot level. Uh, We know that those with elevated glucose chronically will have increased vascular disease and clotting risk. We've known that for years. And so that's important. Now, if you're eating boatloads of erythritol and you're not truly watching your diet and your blood sugar staying high, then absolutely you may be at increased risk. Again, I say may and risk. I didn't say cause. So that's the important thing to understand. There's no causation there. Um, More than three teaspoons or 25 grams of erythritol will give most people that I've met in my practice over the last 20 years, diarrhea, stomach pain, nausea, and gas. Um, I have a lot of people that come into my office suddenly out of the blue having stomach pain and diarrhea. And when I actually go through their diet history, suddenly they tell me, oh yeah, I've been eating the Quest bars or I've been eating this or I've been eating that. When they get more than 20 to 25 grams of erythritol in their system, they get stomach upset, they get gas, they get bloating, they get diarrhea. Um, I find it hard to reach 50 grams or six teaspoons that was mentioned as the upper limit of the 75th percentile of people eating keto foods. Uh, without experiencing severe side effects. Now, if you're one of those that gets the side effects and didn't know you were getting side effects from that, I would say, look at what you're eating. If you're eating keto bars or the keto crap that comes out of the grocery store or the big box stores, um, I would I would back off that. Now, that's important to understand. Those, those will cause stomach upset, diarrhea, gassiness. And if you're not truly following the ketogenic diet correctly, there may be an increased risk with erythritol. We, we don't fully understand that more fully, but Those patients in my practice are not eating near that much, uh, not even close to that. And they're actually controlling their blood sugar. So the potential for erythritol alone uh, without sorbitol and without the other uh, polyol conversion pathway, if the glucose isn't high, in my 18 years of doing this, 18 plus years of doing this with patients, I've never seen an increased potential for blood clots or heart disease risk unless people are cheating. That's, That's the big key. So last night I sat down with my wife and I read, told her about this article that I just read through and, and been perusing, trying, or not more than perusing, I dove into it trying to understand what they actually found and what that meant to those of us that have been using urethritol for 20 plus years or 18 years. It was, uh, I guess it has been around for 20 years. It was proved in 2001. So we looked at Swerve. Um, <clears throat> now my wife will use Swerve for a lot of her baking and, and cooking. Uh, and Swerve is stevia uh, bound, bound to urethritol. And the erythritol component of Swerve, uh, if you take one cup, is about 144 grams of erythritol per cup. Now, my wife will usually use between a half a cup and a cup of Swerve to bake, uh, like she makes these wonderful keto lemon bars, or she'll make um, some some various uh, keto cookies, things of that nature at times. And we don't eat it a lot, but she'll make it maybe once or twice a month, and we'll have that available to nibble on. And I say nibble because if I do more than one or two servings, I get sick to my stomach, as does the rest of my family. So we'll use a little bit for a treat, but it's not nearly that much. Now, the, what, the, when, if she makes the, her, her keto lemon bars, um, the, that one cup of swerve in that pan will make about 25 servings. And so if it's 25 servings, you're looking at between 4.5 and 5 grams of urethral per serving. So we don't do much more than 4 to 5 grams uh her serving. And so we're not eating that much. We're not eating, eating nearly, you know, 70 grams of, of, of erythritol per day, uh, not even close to 30, which is what they gave these guys to drink when they, um, when they looked at, uh, at, at the study. Uh, and so 
the challenge is that are people really eating that? And the answer, in my perspective, is no. Most patients in my practice can't get near that much, and if they try, they get sick to their stomach. Um, my my son likes to drink monster drinks once in a while, and and those contain uh, three milligrams or three grams of of erythritol. Uh, and so so he he says if he drinks on a bad day where he's got to stay up late, if he drinks four. He's not getting more than 16 grams of erythritol throughout the entire day, and that's the max that he he, he can drink. Um, or, or and so and that's a huge amount of caffeine, by the way. So he, you know, most people the caffeine hits them before the erythritol does. Um, now the interesting thing that they showed is there's no specific association or causation in the study that's uh, with the use of erythritol exogenously. So their their, their measurement was endogenous erythritol um, on the platelets, but the erythritol coming from the outside source they actually didn't measure so they they extrapolated and guessed that maybe if your erythritol stayed this high it could cause a problem but they actually didn't measure was there change in platelet uh, aggregation with that particular um with the, that particular dose in a normal person the other thing the other limitation of their study is that the study population came from a group that was already already had significant risk for heart disease so these are patients that were already insulin resistant or pre-diabetic or diabetic and their risk for heart disease was already up and so they're going to be a little more their likelihood of clotting is even higher because they're not actually following ketogenic diets they're they're eating a standard american diet and adding erythritol to it so there, there's a lot of limitations to the study and so i find that the freak out that I'm seeing with everybody across the nation on erythritol based on the headlines we're seeing is really quite unfounded until we truly understand this more. But what they pointed out, we've known for years, uh, and their claim that people are eating, you know, large amounts of erythritol in my perspective is, is not true. So that's my take on it. A lot of people want to know what my take was. Do I think, am I going to stop eating erythritol? Probably not, uh, but I'm not going to eat a large amount because I can't, I just can't tolerate it. And I, I think most of you can't either. Um, it, it number one, that much erythritol makes you feel sick to your stomach. And number two, it has a funky taste if you go beyond 10, 10 milligrams, 10 grams anyway, uh, per day. So I, I find that it's not a big deal. So, uh, look closely at these studies and don't let people freak you out about it. Um, are we going to stop using it in my house? Absolutely not. Um, you know, I, am I interested in hearing further study on it? I'm sure there, sure there will be. And based on the information I could find, uh, uh, Cleveland Clinic has a grant to look at xylitol as well. We'll probably see a study come out from them on xylitol, uh, if not in the near future, because I think that was in the works when I looked at their information. But remember, Cleveland Clinic's got a huge amount of of donation from private corporations, which uh, are tied to the sugar industry and to other sweetener industries. Uh, You know, uh, Procter & Gamble makes Crest. They make all the tooth decay uh, toothpaste. They make Oral-B. They make all those things. And so they have some significant monetary incentive uh, in, in, um, you know, damaging some sweeteners over others to sell products. So be aware of that. Um, you know, those are, you follow the money whenever you see this. Anyway, uh, I went longer than I normally do with this podcast, but I thought it was important to get the information out to you. You guys have a great day and um, enjoy yourself. Take care. Bye-bye. If you have a question that you'd like discussed on Doc Talk, I'd love to answer it. I cannot give individual advice or recommendations, but we can answer the question in an educational format and give you some tools to make educated decisions about your health. If you have a question, email it to questions at docmuscles.com. Again, that's questions at docmuscles.com, D-O-C-M-U-S-C-L-E-S.com. If you are interested in more personal instruction and information on any of these topics discussed here, go to docmuscles.com forward slash membership to learn more and sign up to be a part of my health and coaching services. It only takes a couple of minutes to learn more about your health. Again, that's docmuscles.com forward slash membership.